0: Brothers and sisters, young people, children. God has Satan by the throat. Do you know that? Do you believe that? When you look at the news, when you look at all the things that are being communicated and posted and pontificated, you begin to wonder who is on the throne. In my mind, and this is not the Apostle Paul speaking, not God's Word speaking, it's Fritz Harm saying the following, that in my mind there is little doubt that we are nearing the end of history. And therefore, I am speaking to the imminence of the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the body. The signals that are coming from our culture are signals that are becoming stronger and stronger, indicating the return of Christ. What was right once is now deemed wrong. What was Looked at in a rational way is now argued for in an irrational way when things are being claimed and propagated and advocated in our society. How will you, the Christian, how will the Christian church overcome the tsunami of secular change? What will be our response? What will be your response? Are you going to go into hiding? Are you going to quietly mind your own business? That's not all bad, by the way. To be people who mind their own business and not somebody else's. But that's an aside. Are we just going to mind our Christian business quietly? Is that an option for the church in 2023? It seems to me very clear that God's entire word makes one very bold claim that all the nations must hear. The majesty of God, the glory of God, the presence of God, the lordship of God, because he claims all the nations. There are so many psalms. For example, Psalm 96. You could go to verse 3, verse 9, and then in verse 10 it says what it says in those other verses, in other words. But it says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. He will judge the peoples with equity. So that is, that is our duty. As a Christian church, we're called not to go into hiding, not into cultural retreat, but we're going to stay right where we are in the middle of society. And with wisdom and tact and winsomeness, we're going to boldly defend and claim what is ours. And what is ours is nothing but what God has given you, grace, mercy, and peace. The message is stated in the bulletin, the church victorious must preach God's law and gospel to all the nations until the end of time. The Lamb of God has ordained for his church to proclaim his revelation until the end to every nation and people. And so my first thought, my first point is that this need for the gospel to continue to go out and to reach and to claim all the nations for Christ is that therefore that audience is a global audience. If we go back to verses 1 through 4, which is what the first point uh, includes, verses 1 through 4, it says once again that I saw a mighty angel coming down from heaven wrapped in a cloud uh, with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs like the pillars of fire. And he had let a little scroll open in his hand. And then it says, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he had called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said. And do not write it down. All humanity must hear. All humanity must hear because the angel of the Lord, the mighty angel of the Lord, it's not Christ, um, because Christ is never referred to as another angel. Some commentators have thought that maybe it's a reference to Christ, but that does not seem probable. And so it is a mighty angel. And this mighty angel has definitely characteristics to him uh, by the way he is presented that are um, associated with God's power and majesty and presence. And so it is uh, for reasons that we are given this description, although I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Um, You know, he is a mighty angel and he is described in this uh, very uh, strange way to us probably, but wrapped in a cloud, um, if you look at Nahum uh, 1 verse 3, it says there the clouds are the dust of his feet, referring to, to the Lord, the Lord God. Um, and so it's almost as if, as if uh, God moves uh, through the universe, through life, through coming with his revelation to us here on earth uh, as though he were walking on a cloud. Uh, it just is a, a metaphor that describes the the amazing presence and power and divinity uh, that is resembled in this person, the mighty angel. And that's why I read Psalm 104, by the way. Uh, the second element that is mentioned, the rainbow arching across his head. Uh, the rainbow to us makes a quick reference mentally to the covenant faithfulness that God has uh, promised to uh, the creation in which we live uh, in the time of Noah. Then we see that his face is like the sun. Um, that's probably one of the most direct uh, uh, reasons why some commentators thought maybe it referred to Christ um, because elsewhere in the Revelation, uh, he is referred to uh, in, in, in that his face radiates like the sun. Um, and so uh, the sun is that, uh, that, that uh, symbol of majesty and glory And power and strength. And that continues in the legs that are mentioned. um, Legs uh, like pillars pillars of fire. Um, And um, that is a reference, a metaphor that makes us think of the Israelites coming out of Egypt, out of the exodus. Uh, of Egypt into the promised land but when they go to the promised land they're stuck as it were by their own sinful rebellion as we know for 40 years in the desert but God in his mercy and his faithfulness is saying that he will accompany them in Exodus chapter 13 uh, by the, p- the, the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire day and night God is never absent from his people. Um, And so here is just in very uh, symbolic form a great message of encouragement to the church as it faces the end of time, as things get becoming more and more difficult and as the demonic powers are uh, unleashed more and more. That begins in chapter 9 that we're skipping uh, uh, actually, but uh, you see that um, the last uh, various trumpets, 5, 6 and 7, are unleashing demonic powers now. And so things are intensifying when God places his wrath and his judgments on the nations at the end of time before Christ returns. But then we have taken notice of this reference to this little book that the angel holds. What is this little book? Well, we could say fairly safely, I think, that 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 is God's word. Um, But God's word, as it pertains to the revelation that John is given to um, receive, and then, of course, share with the churches. He had a little scroll open in his hand. He set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice, a commanding voice, a voice that, that, uh, that arrests that, uh, that arrests a person uh, so that they don't just ignore it, that they don't just think that they can uh, dismiss it and ignore it and, and go on their merry old way. But the roar is such that you wait, that you listen, and you say, what's that? And so with that power, the sounds have gone forth from the seven thunders, and apparently associated with that was message, was content, information that John wanted to write down and was told not to. But what I want to just simply point out to you is that limited area of uh, verse 2 where it says, and he placed his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. That is what my first point is claiming. The the global audience is being arrested by these thunder calls, by these words from God through the angels, through the thunders that are thundering across all the nations, that they ought to listen and pay attention. There's no nation that can say, no individual that can say, that's not for me. Uh, I don't care what you Christians believe. I'm a Hindu, I'm a Muslim, I'm an agnostic, or what have you. All are placed under the claim to listen and pay attention. And so the scroll is open, and the message of the scroll is to be sounded to all the nations. That's why we see it at the end as well, in verse 11. And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So we can't go into hiding, can we? All must hear. It makes us think of the Great Commission. When we think about the Great Commission, some of us uh, uh, have mental associations with the Lord Jesus telling his disciples, take my message and make disciples of all nations. And so that is naturally uh, suggesting to us, uh, here's the good news Take the good news, tell everyone, whomever you can find in your circle of friends, where you live, where you work, and maybe for some across the earth. But take that word, the good news, that sinners may be saved. But part and parcel of the commission, the command to go, is that judgment is coming. And you better be ready for that day. Because the judgment will reveal every single person's heart and inclination toward the living God. Yours as well. And mine. And so there's that two-sidedness there. There's on the one hand that sweetness, and we're going to talk about that in the third uh, part of the sermon. There is that sweetness to the urge to claim all nations for the gospel. um, That sweetness because it is such good news but because of the urgency that is behind it, that if you don't accept the good news, the good news is bad news. You are under condemnation still if you don't accept the premises and the promises of the gospel of the living God for yourself. And so the mandate continues for the church today in our age as much as we don't like the world that we live in as the pilgrims of God Um, knowing how the world is thinking so differently, so opposite of what we know to be true, um, that we are still called to have courage and confidence that we are the Lord's. We are on the winning side. God has Satan by the throat. He is unleashed, in my opinion. He is given a limited Uh, authority and power and it is significant and formidable don't mess with Satan Um, but at the same time it is not just um, uh, uh, unlimited it is limited and it is only about to end because Christ is victorious over Satan we have just celebrated Easter Sunday And Easter Sunday is not just that you can be happy that someday you'll live again in fullness and perfection. But the Easter is, first of all, the declaration that God has removed all your sin from you. And He has given you what you don't deserve. He's given you life instead of death. He's given you eternal life instead of eternal condemnation. Through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are who we are. And no one, not even Satan, can change it, can undo it. So we are who we are by God's grace alone because Christ has Satan by the throat. Well, the second um, thought that I have for us to consider is what is mentioned in verses 5 through 7, and that is the absolute urgency. Uh, The gospel must go forth. We can't hide it. We can't put it under... A a lamp, um, shade, we have to uh, cast the light that has given us light and life into the world so that those who dwell in darkness may also see. And that means that we have to take our lives into the world because the life of Christ is in us. And we take the message with us, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do that with urgency. What does it mean that something is urgent? I went to the Oxford Dictionary online. (laughs) Um, Urgency of a state or situation requiring immediate attention um, or action. I'll say it again. Of a state or situation requiring immediate action or attention. So you are talking about uh, not just frivolous things, unimportant things, but something that uh, that that associates uh, in our minds with stuff that is uh, of of of, of a grave nature. Uh, it is dire. It is desperate. Uh, it is crucial. It is acute that something be done now rather than a moment later because that might be too late urgency. And so the angel who stands on land and sea, who is claiming all the nations to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, what is this angel doing? He's raising his right hand and with his right hand it says in verse 6 that he swore. He's making an oath, a sacred oath in the authority and name of God. He is swearing by God himself Who lives forever and ever, who created everything that's in the world, the sea, etc., etc., and what is this all about? The urgency is expressed in that phrase, no more delay. And so as God is unfolding his plan of salvation that includes the end of time when he brings his judgments upon the earth, because of the wickedness in the earth, because of the unbelief that we find throughout the history of course but more and more so intensified towards the end of time before Christ returns then we see that there is no more time to repent uh, no more delay God's delay is good news because if there were no delay we wouldn't be sitting here anymore so we live in a time of delay We live in that sort of, uh, well, not sort of, we live in the age of the gospel. We are told to take the message to all the nations so that men will believe, women will believe and and receive the gift of eternal life. But Jesus is coming. And every day we're a little closer. Do you feel that urgency? The Lord of glory is coming again. And where will you be? What has been your response to the gospel? Have you just believed what your church believed and you're okay with that? Or was it a personal faith? Has the gospel spoken to you directly, personally, and with such power and authority that it has changed you? You are simply no longer the person you once once were. You're not perfect. All of us agree. We are on our way. We have not arrived. But if we know that we have come to faith in Christ, then we know the difference. There is a difference between hearing God's word and say, okay, I had a good time with my friends today in church. Or the persons that I always talk with about business, about sports. I like sports. You know that. Uh, but any other things, all these things that really don't matter. And if the Lord Jesus Christ is not really part of you, not part of your life, your ambitions, your uh, dreams, your interests, uh, the things that you talk about, write about, text about, how would any person know in Japan? with whom you are connected with social media, that you are a follower of Jesus. And so there's urgency because that person in Japan needs to know the gospel for their salvation. So let's not go into retreat. Let's not hide. But let's use every day that the Lord gives us to be the light that shines into the darkness of sinners people who live under the wrath of God as I speak all around the world. So let's wake up. Let the church wake up. Churches are often conservative churches as well, I'm afraid. (laughs) Self-absorbed. Let's just make sure that everything continues the same way, like we've always done it, and then it will be okay and God will say, you good and faithful servant. But is there a possibility that Jesus will say instead, I don't know who you are. Yeah, you did everything right. You followed, you, you checked the boxes. But like the rich man, the young rich man. In a way, Jesus is saying, I don't know who you are because I don't know you in the biblical Hebrew sense of knowing you intimately, personally. So there's urgency that people will hear the truth, not just about right and wrong, but how that right and wrong is the expression of truth embodied in Christ. The Word, the truth made flesh. So no more delay, it says, because the mystery of God will be fulfilled. And it will be. God always accomplishes every portion and part of his will. You don't have to ever worry about that. If you're a Christian, that is particularly comforting. If you're not a Christian, it's not so comforting. God's word will be accomplished also in your life when you're not a believer. His word is calling you today. His word will speak to you at the end of time. The word calls us to faith in Christ. The word of God calls us to repent of our sins. That is the nature of God's word, isn't it? That leads me to the last portion. That's strange boys, boys and girls Um Kind of, a, uh, kind of a strange instruction that uh, John is given there where we read, So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take and eat it. Don't do that at home. Um, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told you must again prophesy about many people's nations, languages, and kings. Take and eat. Well, I told the kids, don't go home and eat your, you know, your, 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 your fun books. Your, your, you call them children's books, other books. Don't do that. But don't we eat the word? as Christians, we eat the word. When there is an opportunity for communion, to sit at the table of the Lord, we eat the word. Strange thought. The one who made himself incarnate, the one who in his divinity has no bounds, omnipotent, omniscient, everywhere present, Nothing can bind God. And He made Himself the Word enclosed, incarnate, so that you can take and eat. Do you take and eat of Christ, not just when it's Communion Sunday? Do you take and eat of Him? Every day. Does the word of God pass through your system? For us as human beings, when God gives us food and drink and God has made us so amazingly beautiful and complex, intricate, that this food passes through us ordinarily and we gain strength from it to do our activities. We know that that process is then therefore very necessary that all things go well. If things don't go well, we know about that too. But just as the body needs to process everything that God gives us on the table to eat and drink. So the Word of God has to absorb, we have to absorb the Word of God. And the Word of God is not just sweetness. It's also law. I am in Christ born again. I'm under His salvation. I am under His favor. But I'm a sinner. And that's from Sunday to Sunday. We don't just do things automatically, mechanically, ritualistically, ceremonially, but we are here to say, Lord, I've sinned against you and my neighbor. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Because the law tells me that on this side of heaven, I'm still in need of grace. The grace that saved me is the grace that I need to preserve me, to strengthen me, to overcome sin in my life, to die to sin and sinful patterns so that the new life, the resurrection life, takes form and shape little by little in my life until Christ returns. And so that book, that word of God, when we read it, we taste it in its sweetness, but we also know that it has its bitterness to it, and rightly so. If you no longer tasted the bitterness of God's word, then maybe there would be the potential of spiritual danger. But the word prompts us to respond, and it always will. A person will either believe or not believe. A person will either be convicted by the truth that it delivers about us, or it will remain indifferent, aloof. And so it is important that the Word of God has a place in your life, day to day, week by week. That's why we need to be in God's house Sunday by Sunday, to be strengthened and encouraged in our faith, in our walk with and in Christ. That idea of the Word passing through us is particularly uh, true of pastors, that would be a little bit more difficult for you to maybe appreciate what I'm getting at here. Um, But as pastors, uh, I'm reminded of what uh, one commentator wrote. Uh, Leon Morris uh, writes, The true preacher of God's word will faithfully proclaim the denunciations of the wicked it contains. But he does not do this with fierce glee. The more his heart is filled with the love of God, the more certain it is that the telling forth of the woes will be a bitter experience. The preacher knows, because he is a sinner himself still, the preacher knows that while he represents the Lord God Almighty and has that greatest privilege of all to open and unwrap and unfold the living Word of God, that that Word of God itself does two things always. It either judges or delivers. And so the Word confronts us every day, every Sunday. And with the confrontation comes what is your and my response to it? Do I bow down to the Lord of glory or do I say... Maybe I'll think about it next week. You're in a very spiritually dangerous situation if the latter is true of you. The preacher knows that when he preaches the word of God, there is law and gospel. There's the condemnation and as well as the deliverance. At the beginning, I mentioned in so many words that the message of this sermon is for all of us to realize that the Word of God, and speaking to you as Christian brothers and sisters, that we are to take the living Word of God and by believing and trusting it in our own lives, letting the Word pass through us and transform us further and further, that we then take that Gospel by our words and our actions into their lives into the week um, that is before us. But who will go and take that word into their lives? You as ambassadors of Christ, you will. But we also need to have ambassadors who take the message to all the world. I mentioned the nation of Japan. I think less than 1% of the people in Japan who are so sophisticated so technologically advanced in almost every area of life, less than 1% are believers in Christ and they face the judgment without Christ. So who will go? Who will take the urgency of the message worldwide to see how that word has an effect in God's providence and by his purpose and decree some will not believe but some will. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are sovereign and that you simply ask us to do one thing, and that is to take your message into the world. Heavenly Father, we ask you that you will bless your word and apply it to our lives and give us the strength, Lord, to do that because in ourselves we are weak and feeble. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray this in his name. Amen.